You're listening to Unjiggered, a bartender podcast where we interview highly successful bartenders about their careers, lives, and the passion of bartending. This week, I caught up with Andrew, Bastian, and Marcia, the owners and co-founders of Hope and Sesame in Guangzhou. We talk about their Swiss hospitality school background, moving to Borneo and running an ice cream stand, as well as the opening of Hope and Sesame and a few of their other projects. With this podcast, we want to peel back the mask and discover just how the greats really became the greats. So sit back and enjoy. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to Paris. Yeah, um, welcome to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Andrew, so I'm from Hong Kong. Uh, started, uh, we started Hope and Sesame around three and a half years ago. Um, a little bit of background of me, we went to school with Boston um, at uh, Hotel de Lausanne. That was around 10 years ago. So um, after graduation, we both sort of uh, uh, moved into hotels. We worked in, uh, respectively, in Hong Kong, Guangzhou, uh, Malaysia, and um, coincidentally, Bastian moved to Guangzhou, I think, four years ago. And we're just like, hey, you know, let's do, let's do something cool. Uh, so we both quit our jobs and then started uh, Helping Sesame. So you were like proper hotel people? Doing the whole like general manager sort of route before, or yeah, that was that was the uh, that was the dream, you yeah. know. That's sort of when you graduate. That's the only path that you see. Yeah. And then um, you know, did the uh, corporate training, uh, moved on from manager to director levels, and then realized, you know, it's not really what we want to do. You know, at the um, end of the day, we we're in meetings a lot. We're in um, we we live in the email world. Um, so the idea is we wanted to really create value um, uh, in terms of food and beverage, uh, obviously. So we wanted to be more hands-on, to create recipes, to be hands-on again. So hands-on, uh, so hence we, we started our own bar. Uh, but a little bit more than that, uh, we, we didn't go the traditional route in hiring a designer, think of the concept and then building the bar. We sort of did ourselves. So we really wanted to bring that whole DIY bar kind of thing to life. Yeah. And everything sort of, sort of like was like very personal. Is uh, You don't want to look at like what other people is doing and try just to replicate somewhere else. It's more like how far can we go? Like what can we create to make something unique? And uh, I think that's something like in hotels is very tough because you will have a lot of layers of management. A lot of people will influence, you know, the directions. And, and you think like uh, hotel school sort of set you up for this or it was just or it was more like yeah, something that you always wanted to do or yeah obviously like in terms of networking obviously you know um a lot of people help us along the way and i think the also the experience you know like in in, in hotel school we it's it's not as it's not the traditional university where you pick your major you you you, you become specialized in one or two things in hotel school you really learn about everything you know from Accounting, finance, to marketing, uh, every how to clean properly, yeah. work in stewarding. <laughs> so that all sort of prepared when we first opened the bar. So we were we're happy to do everything. We we started three of us cleaning the toilets, buying groceries from the markets, making drinks, closing the bar, cleaning, marketing going to bank, depositing money, just basically doing everything yeah. that hotel school sort of taught us. Yeah. And I, and I think like... Cleaning the closets. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the school sort of like, they did not necessarily teach you everything how to do it, but it sort of like open your eyes on there's a lot of like different things to look at. Yeah. And for example, like your marketing, 
uh, you know, s s like a class in the school, there would be like a lot of like theories and so on. But then when you're actually starting to doing it, you'd be like, wait, that teacher actually was like telling us something. There was, it sort of like makes sense once you, you have to, to go deeper in it. You graduated from school and then what happened after that? Um, coincidentally, Bastian wanted to go to China. So then we moved back to China and then met Andrew. That's, that's how we become a looping together. Yeah, so, so it, was, it was like five, like uh, four years in, in Borneo. The working for like Shangri-La. Yeah. In Borneo? Yeah, yeah. like resorts, something wow. like very... You know, you, it's not a place you go there and you think you're going to be so long there. And um, what were you guys doing in Borneo? So I was in like a FMB, yeah. like uh, in charge of like some restaurants and bar, ice cream bar, like, uh, like different things, a lot of like projects. Yeah. I was in sales. Oh wow. Yeah. So you had an ice cream bar in Borneo. Yeah, <laughs> which was making more money than the fine dining Italian restaurant. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's a pool ice cream bar, but then that was a center. <laughs> then it's yeah. all tourists and hotel guests? Or? Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, a big, it's a big hotel, it's like 500 rooms. Some months it would be like over ninety percent average occupancy. Wow! So it's it's a big uh, big machine. And Andrew, you went to Borneo as well? Or? No, I, I've started the um, after graduation. I moved to Guangzhou uh, with Grand Hyatt. So I did the um, the management training program. Moved up to assistant manager, manager, and then got transferred to Hong Kong Grand Hyatt as assistant director of FMB. So I stayed there for around two years and decided that's not really for me. I think uh, you've seen it all, you've, you've done it, it's long hours and as I said, like meetings and meetings and living on the phone, you're always one call away to, to a sort of emergency, which at that time seems a big deal, always. Um, bring it in meetings. If it's a five-star hotel, everything's like is, crisis yeah. mode. Which, you know? which, is, which is great, <laughs> which is actually quite interesting because uh, when we first started the bar, we, we were like, screw all that. We're not going to do any of those. Uh, we're going to keep it very streamlined. Everything's going to be very, very efficient. I think at, uh, at first we, we achieved that and that was great. You know, everything was moving very quickly. And, but, but then we realized, you know, we, we've opened a new uh, cafe. Oh, uh, we have quite a few consultancy projects. And that we realized we, we do actually need quite a bit of um, organization. And and all that like bureaucracy actually like we could streamline that a little bit but in a sense that you still sort of need that you know because you don't want to do everything yourself you have to delegate and when you delegate to someone who's not yourself you realize okay you need to put in a little bit of control you need to put in a little yes. bit of uh, parameters like they can't just, they have to always report back to you so hence you know all the meetings so we're, we're, we're still working on it I think it's a, it's a work in progress um, but anyway so I've um, so after after leaving Grand Hong Kong, came back to Guangzhou and I started my own restaurant. It's a Vietnamese restaurant. Don't ask me why. I'm never going to Vietnam. <laughs> just love Vietnamese food so much. I just started a restaurant, and then um, afterwards in Boston moved to moved to Guangzhou. Um, I think after it was after one year at Shangri La. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, it was like we joined Shangri La in Guangzhou, like uh, the the GM in the hotel that we used to move in to work in Malaysia moved to Guangzhou, China, mm -hmm. and he was like, guys, can, do you want to come over? And uh, he offered both me and Marcia like a good position. It was like what we're like, uh, sort of like aiming for. So we moved to, to Shanghai and Guangzhou 
and then work there for a year. And is the city hotel so the style is very yeah. very different than so no ice cream bars. Yeah. No ice cream bars. No ice cream bars. Yeah. That was the main reason why they left. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, people want to sort of know how the bar came about. Like, did you go for a drink and they just decide we should open a bar like in the movies or <laughs> like? <laughs> well, well, not really. I think we, we went to it's it's very funny because at first we we were looking for to open something. We didn't know exactly what. It, could be, it would have been a restaurant or a bar or cafe. And then when we saw the current location of Hope and Sesame, which, uh, which is in a really old building, sort of 10 minutes away from the, the CBD and such, it's in quite a historic area. And, and we, we, we walked into the space and we thought, okay, let's do tasting menu. Yeah. It was a really stupid was, idea. Like, nobody was, should ever do that uh, right yeah. off the bat, you know. <laughs> Just do tasting menu restaurant. So we we did uh, we did a bit of fitting out, you know, a little bit of uh, computer designs, trying to sort of fit in the, fit in the kitchen, uh, fit yeah. in the tables. Yeah. I realized, but then there was well, it's too small. Yeah, it was it was too small. Yeah, it was like we're like trying to squeeze the kitchen in in so many different ways. It's, it's a bit like playing Tetris, <laughs> and you're like, no, it doesn't work. We're missing a meter, and here it doesn't work. We're missing the half a meter. So you're just trying in so many ways and doesn't and work. Yes. Worse was because that building was a historical building, so in the whole street, that building is the oldest one, so it's not a structural building, so it's all by red brick. And it was like being built in 1919 for Chinese, it's a long time. And so by the time we finally, the two guys work out the layout, and then the contractor comes in, try to break the wall of one of the wall to make it bigger than fit everything. And then the contractor is like, no, if you break this wall, the whole building collapses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, so, so we were almost like we were just almost like a meter away from yeah. opening a restaurant and not having hope. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Wow. And then end up so the original building actually kept our doors like very light inside, and we wasn't planning to open a speakeasy eventually. But then that's the only door you can connect the two part of the room. So. So it's like accident. There's so many. There's there's so many perfect accidents. Yeah. Which end up with Hope and Sesame. If one of them made sense in terms of the kitchen, it would. We were eating table. Yeah, we probably all gone back to working hotels. So, um, do you have any history in bartending or any bar background or? Boston. Well, Boston did. He was yeah. the only one who knew how to make a drink back then. Yeah. yeah because before I joined uh, EHL, I basically I worked for like uh, three, four years in uh, in bars in Switzerland and then in Canada. Okay. I was also like I joined like the Swiss Bartender Association, the SBU. It's, it's a long story, but I became like vice president when I was like 22 years old. Wow. And then uh, and it was like. There's a lot of things like competition and so on, but then because like I left for like maybe seven years between like the, the two years in EHL and then after five years in Shangri-La, I was like completely away from the industry. So it was, you know how to shake, but the trend changed, the, the, the way of things changed. So it's still, it's pretty much like we had to start from scratch. Wow. That was we, we, did, we didn't know anyone in the industry. Yeah. It was a it was sort of new country for a lot of for us, and um, so basically it was we had to figure out what's what well, what brands are in in, in the country, um, what uh, what's yeah, what suppliers are there, what is the competition kind kind of um, like what kind of bars are are in the city. We have to know everyone again. 
which which is actually quite quite yeah. quite refreshing. It was quite and fun. And you know, like where sometimes like uh, a bartender will leave his bar and then slowly like open his own place right after, and he knows everyone. Where you start from scratch, you have no, you know, you have to really think. Okay, what we're we gonna do? The, wow. You cannot make drinks that we made seven eight years ago. But that that really gave us um, a, a complete blank canvas. So we we didn't have any constraints. We didn't have any previous experience of saying, oh, we must do a martini bar, we must do classics. Basically, we just wanted to do whatever we wanted. But obviously, we we also travel a lot, so we see a lot of cocktail bars. We, we know what we like. We know what sort of direction we want to go. Uh, and without ex external investments as well, it was just a project between us. We could make any decisions that we want to. So, like, literally everything is is yours. It's yes. your baby. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Besides the building. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what challenges did you face then? I mean, like, what was the bar scene like in Guangzhou? Like, I think. You know, what did you have access to? I think one of the key parts is like, we we looked at like in Guangzhou, like what's the what's there, what's the other bars, but then we really didn't put the the target to be strong in Guangzhou. The idea was more like, can we aim to go, you know, like, can we be on par with a bar in Singapore or, I don't know, in London or something, like, very trying to aim high. Yeah. So it's like, when you started, you're like, very just looking at, at yourself, like, at what we do. I would say maybe for almost a year, we didn't really know how does it work with, like, marketing, with, like, Instagram, with, like, it was just, you know, try to go, like, from day to day, try to improve, try to work on, on new flavors, new recipe. New menus. I think I think at first, like when we first started, the the well until now, the Guangzhou cocktail scene is still sort of it's very very slow. I, I mean, it's a city of twenty five million people, but uh, I, I would say the cocktail bar scene is very uh, quite traditional, mm -hmm. and people are very very conservative when it comes to opening new concepts there. Yeah. There are cities that's one hour from from Guangzhou, for example, Shenzhen. We have cocktail bars opening up every single week, so people are a little bit more um, cautious when they try to open a business in Guangzhou. But for us, it's it's sort of a um, an opportunity as well because there's not too many competition, and if we sort of maintain and keep creating, uh, delivering new new values to to our customers, they will keep coming back, and so it become the the place you have to be like when you come to Guangzhou. So a lot of friends when they have have friends coming out for coming coming from. Outside of Guangzhou, and they always bring them to open sesame, so that's sort of created a great opportunity for us. The, the idea is like there's different aspects of uh, open sesame. The first one is a speakeasy. It was like the the first one in like the south of China, but we wanted to make it very raw. The entrance, like you would swear, is not a bar. It's not like overly clean and so on. So the first part is like that speakeasy aspect where you enter like sort of like a vintage like. Eat, like a Cantonese cafe, okay. something very old school with like, yeah, a bit random, which also serves as like a smoking area for the bar. Then once you find your way in, you have like two parts of the bar. You have like one like the the bar side, which is a bit more like lively with like a big bar counter for like twelve seats, and then a small like sort of like we we call it like a hammam between <laughs> us, like a small lounge sofa area. So this is like a thirty-two seat bar. And then there's another like completely hidden wall that you push and then you end up in the jazz room. 24 seat, very intimate. It's uh, you have like live jazz every single night. There's a lot of like dimension, I would say, in Hoban Sami. Yeah. 
there's a back with a small lab kitchen dash gin room where people can go inside and like discover techniques and then discover flavors of what we do. I guess sort of like once you open, how 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 is it received? I mean, you know, what is like the local drinking culture like over there? In so that for us, we were open besides we in hotel industry. So a lot of uh, hotel guests and friends and mostly it's trade people comes to our bar because they're curious about what we do. Yeah, and I think how, how long does it to 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 start to be busy like to since day one I think what <laughs> but <laughs> because really? we kind of like really literally the first one in Canton to had um to had that speakeasy that type of speakeasy mm. you need to search there's a complete um like a humble entrance there's nothing no hint and then, so in the beginning a lot of people discovered it and they would just speak to other friends to search for our place and uh, I think one thing that we noticed is like if you sort of take the Asia 50 best ranking and then you sort of like put them geographically, you guys are like by yourself, really, almost. Well, I, think, I think it's sort of a blessing in, in disguise because we are in a city that's not very traditionally cocktail focused. So that forces us to do a lot more, work a lot harder, travel a lot more than other, other places will have to. For example, if your bar is in Hong Kong, you naturally get a lot of uh, but industry people coming by, they will, they might visit uh, one or two bars and then they will pass by yours as well. But for us, it's someone that someone has wants to come to Hopin Sesame, they have to come to Guangzhou yeah. specifically. And traditionally, yeah. there's no reason to come to Guangzhou <laughs> uh, besides trading and, and fairs. Yeah. So, so it forces, it gives us actually a, a, a unique uh, point. So whoever comes to Guangzhou comes for us. So they, they arrive at the airport, so we can we can basically pick them up from the airport, we can show, uh, show them to the hotel. This is your hospitality background now. Exactly. <laughs> That's something that comes naturally to us. Yeah. Then we show them around the city, go for a good Cantonese food, do a small bar tour. Then basically they, they we can show them the best side of the city. Whereas in Hong Kong, um, people will be like, oh, I know I want to go here, I want to go there, I want to check out this bar. They, they, are, they have their own schedule already, whereas Juan mm-hmm. Jones completely up to us. So that really gave us a, an edge. So if you ask anyone who's been to our bar or done the guest shift in a bar, they would say, oh, um, the guys from Hope and Sesame like, really took care of us from, from, from arrival to departure because there was, there was no other, um, they didn't know anyone in the city. Um, <laughs> they, were, they were all ours. So it gave us a great opportunity to... Most yeah. of the time, they didn't even know where is the city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. They would just basically just hop on a car that helped us sent, and then just arrive here, eat this, drink that, sleep there. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. a lot, lot of guests, for example, like like nowadays, it's getting easier to, to travel. Like for example, like in Guangzhou, like if you're just flying over, you don't need like a Chinese visa. Okay. It can be like 72 hours or 100 hours without Chinese visa. So it's like now some people like they actually like maybe fly to Australia or like to different parts of the world and they would do a stopover in Guangzhou. They, they would come with the luggage straight from the airport to Hope and Sami. Be like, I'm here just, I want to say hi and have some drinks. Really? And then they book a hotel very close from us, which many times they get, uh, well like Hope and Sami is, a, is a, in a very old uh, part of town okay. where there's a lot of like army, sort of like army building and, and old generals and so on. So a lot of hotels right around us, they don't have like a license for foreigners. Mm. So it's only if you're Chinese you can stay in these hotels. Really? The one just really close to us. 
So a lot of money we actually book an hotel like just next door from us and then be like, oh crap. Ask <laughs> <laughs> for help, like, where can I stay? I, I see some sort of like, like a tour package company coming together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, uh, so now we have the bar, we have the cafe, the restaurant. And the hotel's probably going to come soon. Limousine company. So apart from Bastian having some bar background, like did you have to do some bar courses or like did you? How did you sort of learn to well, do everything? Well, I think it's sort of something that comes quite natural. Like yeah. bartending is okay. Coming from a guy who has no bartending background, it's. The skill set is uh, you have to do it a lot. You just, it's, a, it's a repetitive process. Um, you practice, if you practice a lot, you make a lot of drinks every night, then it sort of comes naturally. It's, I think it's down to more the flavors, um, the combination, which we know from, from doing F&B, doing well, cook, a lot of cooking. Um, you understand flavors, balance of drinks. And I think the most important is that you're quite genuine if you bartend. If you don't have a lot of like, many years of experience, you have to be genuine in your service. You have to be very genuine in what you do. And I think also when you come into a bar, you look a little bit more for service um, rather than the flair of the bartenders. Um, nowadays, you tend to have a lot of cocktail bars where um, it's, it's all pre-batched stuff, a lot of stirring uh, because for, for consistency purposes. So basically, you don't see a lot of flair bartending anymore. So basically... Well, we, what we did was we tried to uh, enhance this service point of view. We chat with a lot of the guests. We make sure um, everyone has, where well, we explain the menu properly. So I think when guests come in, they don't really think, oh, these guys are not really bartenders. Um, but because of the service they receive, you know, the drinks they had, was like so good that yeah. they sort of forget that. But afterwards, like I think three and a half years behind the bar every night, so yeah. it's, uh, it's it, it comes to you, yeah, you know, how to make sure. throw a drink, mm-hmm. how to shake a drink. You like dream about making decorations <laughs> and things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we should you should see the videos we did last night. Yeah, the uh, blind ones. Yeah, we did some blind daiquiris. It's quite fun. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to touch on you guys have some uh, consulting projects with Mandarin and some other companies like. How did that come about and can you just explain well, about that? I think it came quite naturally when uh, hotel, we, we, our, our consultancy projects are mostly hotels, five-star hotels, because we, they understand that we have a five-star hotel background. We understand the, the, the process of signing the contracts, you know, from signing the contract, from purchasing, from sourcing ingredients, from doing trainings in hotels, what hotels can do, cannot do expectations of hotels yeah. so I, I think after after all that they understand that we, we will be the, the, the perfect candidates for these kind of projects so we, we started off doing uh, well our, our main projects is the Mandarin Oriental in, in Beijing that really was one of our best experience to be honest this is it's, it's very lame to say this but this is definitely a win-win situation where the hotel it was a pre-opening hotel yeah. we had a sort of a blank canvas that we can do whatever we want. The hotel management was incredibly supportive yeah. because they, they, they've been to our bar, they've seen what we can do. And I think they, they, they're quite smart because they identify that they're not in the best location. I mean, they are in Wang Fujing, which is traditionally the center of, of Beijing, but it's not in terms of F&B or um, tr- like trendy bars and stuff. So they, 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 they really had to have a really banging concept from the start, mm. otherwise it would just become another like, lobby hotel bar kind of thing. Mm. So they really interested us in, in terms of 
the menu design, the main creative direction, photography, from um, using all the, the, the crazy techniques like, like buying rotovab, buying centrifuges, where nobody had in, at the same time in Beijing. Yeah. So we, we, we were allowed to do all that and they were quite, uh, we loved the, the team because they were so eager to learn. They didn't have a head bartender who had 20 years experience. They had a, a, a young guy who's worked a couple years in decent bars. This is his first sort of head barman job where he's very eager to prove himself. Um, so we, we, we call it a lucky break really. And, and also like the, the general manager, from, like he's also from Yechev. Yeah. So it's like when we talk with him, he was like, not trying to be, I'm the general manager of like a beautiful hotels, but more like we're talking together. What can you bring us and we listen and we're here to, to work with you guys rather than we just hiring you for like do this, do that. And then that's good enough. The, so I think the, 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 it felt like partnership. Yeah, you know? exactly. it wasn't, it wasn't really, okay, we work for you guys. It felt like there was mutual respect and and now you see the bar, it's, it's packed every night. It's doing very, very well. Yeah, something. we hear about it a lot. Yeah, I think it, it was one of the, um, I, I would say that it's, it's not the case every time because it's a new hotel. A lot of things where we can just uh, buy whatever we, we propose. Like we, we do have projects where the hotel has been open for many years and we've sort of come in as a consultancy role uh, where we see more challenges. But that is where our hotel background comes in where we know, understand that we cannot change the entire bar program in a day. We cannot change all your glassware in a day. You know, we have to dig down, we have to go, go to the storage, see what's, what's left over, what can we use creatively, yeah. which is also a great challenge for us as well. And when that bar does well, it's even, it's even a better, better feeling because we had a very, we had a, I would say it's a, a difficult situation and we turn it around. Oh wow! Because also, like, we don't want to be a consulting company. We want to be like more like doing partnership with a few hotels across China. Uh, the idea is really like to to give a lot to each place. So it's sort of one in in a city, rather than just taking a lot of project and and you know you start to becoming like copy paste and then you lose that edge uh, or that passion. I would say. So we all went to EHL. Um, how did the sort of old school hospitality people react to you're gonna open a cocktail bar in, in Guangzhou, like it's it's actually rather interesting because there are more and more hotels, five star hotels in China or any 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 place around the world looking for consultancy. So I think at first people would say the old school hospitality people, they're like, oh, why, why would you throw, uh, throw away your opportunity to become a GM one day? You know, it's a very promising career you have. They, a lot of them wouldn't understand. But I think in, in China nowadays, it's, it's quite important that everything's moving so quickly. Um, there's so many opportunities to, to establish yourself in terms of, of young entrepreneurs. I think it's a great opportunity for us just to, to start something. And um, it's, a great, it's a great platform, great city that we can, you know, open our own bar without massive capital. It's something that's very much, um, it's, it's actually a very rewarding kind of experience. If you create something with value, with creativity, with great service, people come back. Yeah. It's not, for example, if you do the same thing in London, you create, you give the same values, you might not get rewarded by, with, with a lot of uh, returning guests because there's so many competition out there. But I think in, in China, you still do. 
so which is why we took the, the, the chance to open a, to, to, to open our own bar. Uh, at first, people obviously don't understand why, but now I think they do. And then now a lot of the old school hospitality is like, oh, can we actually you know, get some help from you guys as well? Yeah. Because we understand that the industry is changing so fast that a lot of the hotel, large hotel groups don't have the right support from the head office to, to all the, the properties um, in, in the different cities, especially in China. So you run tour in Europe now. Um, what sort of like, where are you going? What are you, what are you doing? What are you trying to... So do a quick recap of the tour. Yeah, exactly. So we started off in London. We did a shift in Swift, uh, in Artesian. Yeah. And then we're here in, in Paris. Uh, last night was Danico. Today we're doing a shift at Candelaria. And then tomorrow we're going to Lausanne, doing um, a speech and a seminar for the first students. Then we're off to Madrid at uh, 1862 Dry Bar and Salman Guru. And after that, we're flying back to London. Uh, back to, we're actually flying to Kiev for the Barometer wow. Bar Show. And after that, we're flying back to London for a shift at Lucky Le- Kane and the Quaglinos. And then we're off to Barcelona uh, doing a shift at Maloi Bar. And after that, we're going to the uh, BCB in Berlin. Then we're heading back. <laughs> so that's quite a trip. It's a big tour. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I can just imagine you coming to the airport with, like, all your preps and everything for three weeks. <laughs> we travel with, I think, like, 100, 100 kilo of, of, of luggage. One yeah. more. Yeah, if not more, yeah. yeah. Probably 150 kilos. So yeah, I've got, four, I've got 45 or 50 already, like, yeah. myself. So 50 each people. Wow. Oh, that, yeah. And then when you go back, you're going to have, like, 10 empty suitcases. And... That is the, the point. So the, we're, we're, we're shopping space. Exactly. <laughs> we've, been told, we've been told we have to use up all the prep. Because um, the idea is we also we don't travel, like, for, for guest shifts. We want to bring, really, what we do in, in Hope and Sesame and to any bar. Uh, no matter whether they have the same equipment or not, we're going to make sure that we, we do the same consistency of drinks. So we travel with like micro distillery. We do, we have like label printers. We bring our own sous vide, uh, pretty much like glassware containers to menus. A lot of ingredients. Yeah. A lot of spices, ingredients that we have homemade in, in Guangzhou. Our own, we own coffee was roasted in house. So we try to spring a lot because we, we understand that not every bar has the same access to the same resources and, that and we have. Also, like one thing is like, we, I think we're doing around 13 shifts, but then the idea was to look at like each individual bar, what they do, what style, like are they like a very classy bar or are they more edgy or they more like creative. And then from there, we basically like created or like selected drinks that really like fit the place. So... And another thing is like in each cities, if we're doing like, like two guest shifts, the two guest shifts have to be very different. Okay. So completely different drinks. Because if it's the same, first of all, like each bar would not be that happy that we're just doing exactly the same in two different places, yeah. which is very fair. And then also for the guests, if you come the first night, we tell you come tomorrow is the same four drinks that you had. <laughs> so you're doing 13 shifts with four different drinks in each shift? Pretty much. It's like, we, we choose like, I would say around maybe 25 cocktails in total. And then there would be like between four, five, even six cocktails in bars. That's why we had the green menu and the edible menu. So the green menu is an overall uh, catalog. 
So you have um, basically the whole tour drinks, and then guests could have a look and have some expectation, know what we do. And the small menu is for that bar that night. Wow. Yeah. And then the one thing is like we try in this tour to have a few sort of like, like I would say like message of like uh, what we do and what. But then we try to go a little bit further, and one of the ways just to make it fun with the guests, because I believe when it's fun, people will remember better. Yeah. So instead of printing all our books for each every bar and because everyone have a different drinks, it would be a lot of waste. Like you print 20 menus and then you just throw it in the garbage at the end of the night. Then we printed like uh, about like 30 and we keep those 30 all the way around. We always give one or two maybe to the bar or like to a guest if they want to bring it. But then every night we have like a small menu and this menu is like edible. It's like a rice paper. There's a bit of like a tomato artichoke wow. on the side. So you tell the guests, look, this is our menu for tonight. Once you choose your drinks, please, you know, feel free to eat it. <laughs> and, and it's called like leave no trace. So. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more than just uh, no plastic straws, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, we're in this, guests come to bar for the service, for the experience. So we have to be creative in, in, in the sense of still being sustainable and still doing good, but also in a creative way. So why are you doing this for the Flood of Kenya then? Flodicana is, is a brand like very, I would say, very close to us. We, we started three years ago with the, the local importer in China, Tommy. At first, he was not a friend. He was just, you know, uh, an importer like there's many in China. And then we started to buy from him different things, started to, to work with him more and more. And this person was just so on point, so on top of everything. At the same time, we learned a bit more about the brand, about what they're doing. Is a, is a good partnership where we can do what we want. We don't get forced, you know, like to have like a, a certain speech or a certain format or certain drinks to, to promote. Yeah. We do whatever we want. And then at the same time, they, they're always like there if we need. I think you, you need partners that not try to force their, you know, their marketing or their branding on you, but more who's trying to help you. And then you try to help back. In, uh, in whatever you, way you want. So tell me about your other projects you have going on. So we also opened a, a traditional uh, Italian cafe, uh, aperitivo bar with a pasta bar in built in it. It was around six months ago. So this is located five minutes away from Hope and Sesame. We found a building that dates over a hundred years ago. It's sort of a mansion with four stories. So on the first floor we have Charlie's, which is the Chinese Cafe, where we do uh, China, we source Chinese coffee beans, we roast in-house. Uh, we do a lot of traditional style Italian coffee. So instead of a lot of cold drips or nitro coffee, we go back to, we do a lot of research, we go back to the, the, the small towns of Italy, find uh, historic or traditional coffee recipes that we sort of recreate in a modern setting in, in Guangzhou. Yeah. Whereas, um, and for, for the cocktail side, we do a lot of coffee cocktails that you know it makes so much sense that you know we roast the coffee make it into espresso liqueur make it into coffee uh, into a coffee cocktail and so it's sort of full circle going from the source to the to the, to the glassware kind of thing and then um, our second floor is a uh, pasta bar so fresh pasta is made every day um, and then the third floor and the top floor is a event space at the, at the moment well I'll, I'll send Michele over to taste all your Italian uh... yeah like, uh, see if it passed the authentic test. Because, you know? because we are all very Italian, yeah, hot. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, and, and also very exciting project, but very also personal of like what we like to do. And like some people will step in Charlie's, they don't know is us behind, and they will feel oh, there's some similarities with Hope and Sammy, even though it's completely different the design. Wow. Yeah. Because we 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 aren't just uh, well, we we don't also want to be portrayed just as bartenders because we are just overall FMB enthusiasts. We like every aspect of F&B. We like the food, we like the coffee, we like the bars and cocktails and wines. So we wanted something that sort of um, represents us. Um, so that's why we have a lot of different elements. And the next project might not be any spirits or alcohol related. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, it's exciting. Yeah. Hmm. So, so just to end, we always ask uh, everybody the same question. Uh, what's the last drink that you would have before, before you die? You okay. have one more drink, and that was it. Okay, for me, it's a, it's a whiskey highball. Whiskey highball? Yes. For, for me, it's a champagne. A nice glass of champagne. Yeah. Gin. Gin drink. Gin? Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, thanks for coming. Thanks Thank you so guys. much. Okay. Excellent, thank you. We hope you enjoyed our interview with the guys from Hope and Sesame. We are unjigged underscore media on Instagram, and you can follow our personal accounts at mmariotti89 for Michele, Alex J. Murphy for myself, and Adrian Besser for Adrian. Thank you for listening.